Um, let me just start off by saying thank you, Pastor Caleb, for the opportunity. Thank you for that introduction. What an introduction. Uh, and I just would like to take a moment to honor our senior leaders, Pastor Owen and Pastor Leah. It's never, I never take it lightly to stand on this platform. Uh, I, I know that from this platform, marriages are restored. I know from this platform, broken lives are healed. I know from this platform, people are being set free. I know this platform isn't just speaking to Brisbane North, but this platform is speaking to the nations of the world. That is true. How many of you believe that? And so it's an honor to be standing here and to be sharing the word of God. Um, something I'd like to do though is we're going to hop into a portion of scripture. It's in Acts chapter 7, but this is what I'd like to do. I'd love for us just to all stand if you feel comfortable to do that because I feel it's important to honor the Word of God. Now, uh, I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 7, but just to give you a little bit of context, this is a New Testament scripture that's actually talking about an Old Testament person. What we have in Acts chapter 7 is we've got a man, his name is Stephen. In fact, we can call him Pastor Stephen because in the early church, he was one of the original pastors appointed by the apostles. And Pastor Stephen, the Bible tells us, is a man who is mighty in the things of God. The Bible tells us that he's full of the Holy Spirit and there's miraculous signs that follow his ministry, but he's also wise. He has the gift of articulation. And in this portion of scripture, he gets captured by the Jewish leaders of the time and they accuse him of blasphemy. Where am I going with this? Just keep going with me. It'll make sense in a moment. But it's interesting. You've got Pastor Stephen. He's standing before the Jewish leaders and they ask him, are these blasphemy charges about you true? What Stephen does next is very interesting. He begins talking to the Israelites about their heritage. He begins talking about a man named Abraham. He talks about how God met with Abraham and God called Abraham to live in a foreign country where he didn't have any relatives, where he didn't have any land. But he says that God appeared to Abraham. And when God appeared to Abraham, God spoke to Abraham about his descendants. Abraham who could never have kids. God starts speaking to him about his future, speaking to him about his legacy. And God tells him that his descendants one day down the track that something would happen where his descendants would go as slaves into Egypt for a period of 400 years. Abraham wakes up and he goes about his business. He goes on to talk about how Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. He talks about how Isaac did the same as Abraham. He dwelt in that land. Isaac had two sons. He had Jacob, who we know to be Israel, and he had another son called Esau. He talks about how Jacob had a son. In fact, Jacob had, had a few sons. He had many sons. You know, Abraham had many sons. Jacob had many sons. He had 12 sons. And the Bible says that one of those sons, his name was Joseph. And what happened to Joseph was the Bible says his brothers were jealous of him and they sent him as a slave into this land called Egypt. Long story short, Joseph, although being in Egypt as a slave, can become second in charge. He becomes the governor of Pharaoh. He, he becomes the oversight of the land. And God had purpose for Joseph to, to preserve the ancient world when a famine was going to strike. And so God's purpose for Joseph was he, pres he preserved the ancient world, but he also preserved Jacob's family. They all go to Egypt. They all end up in Egypt, and that's where they remain. And this is where the story kicks off because this is, this is fascinating. It says in Acts chapter 7, here we go. As the time drew near when God would fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt greatly increased. But then a new king, king came to the throne of Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. This new king exploited our people and he oppressed them, forcing parents to abandon their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born. He was a beautiful child in God's eyes. His parents cared for him for three months. When they had to abandon him, they had no choice. 
Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom. This is, pay attention to this. He was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in both speech and in action. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and he avenged him killing the Egyptian. Look at this. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. The next day he visited them again, saw two men of Israel fighting. He tried to be the peacekeeper. Men, he said, your brothers, why are you fighting each other? But the man in the wrong pushed Moses aside. You may, who made you rule to be who made you a ruler and a judge over us? He asked. Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard that, he fled the country and he lived as a foreigner in the land of Midian. Just one more scripture and then we'll pray. James chapter 1, verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that is able to speak to us today by the power and by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Father, I ask this morning that you would open our ears, Father, to hear, that you would open our eyes to see, that you would open our hearts to receive what you want to impart, what the Holy Spirit wants to say to your church. Father, I pray, help us to gain an understanding what you've given us and the people around us and help us to honor accordingly the gifts that you've placed in our lives. We give you honor, we give you glory, we give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of the ample said, amen. amen, amen. Thank you, church, you may be seated. Christmas is here. Christmas is here, Christmas is near. Who's excited for Christmas? There's so many things that you can love about Christmas. I mean, when I think about Christmas, I think of a few things. I think about family, I think about food, I think about holidays. I wonder how many of you are on holidays at the moment. I think about those things. I think about movies, Christmas movies. I think about music. Not really, I'm not a big fan of the Christmas tunes. But, but there's a lot of things to celebrate about Christmas. I missed one thing though, chiefly there are presents. Speaking of presents, how good does this tree look? I think next week we're going to be distributing these gifts to our kids' church. I'm looking forward to that. But how many of you know that Christmas presents is, tends to be a big part of Christmas? I'm sort of interested as I'm looking at this. I think I might just grab one of these gifts and have a bit of a feel, have a bit of a jingle. That is a nice-looking present. That's a nicely wrapped present as well. What kind of gift do you like? You know how people have preferences for gifts? I mean, some people like expensive gifts and all the wives put their hands up. Some people, some people like practical gifts. That's, that's me. If you can give me something that's got a practical use of my life, I'm really into that. Uh, some people are into the meaningful gifts. How many people like a meaningful gift, a gift that says something about you? My wife is one of those. She, well, she's sort of got two tastes. She likes expensive and meaningful. But, uh, but anyways, moving right along. Some people like amusing gifts. I see a few cheeky faces in the building this morning. I reckon there's some people, you ever buy somebody a gift that's dirt cheap, but it's funny? <laughs> Tune in, I'll share a story about that a bit later, but gifts come in all packages, gifts come in all sizes, but how many of you enjoy receiving a gift? Everybody loves receiving a gift. Now, what I wanna ask you this morning, imagine there was a gift. In fact, can I, can I propose this to you? I think that for, for all of us in church, I think our lives, if, if you're a Christmas tree, there are gifts all around your life. If you're a Christmas tree, those gifts are actually people that God's placed around you. But imagine this for a second. Imagine that you need something desperately. 
Like, I mean, like, seriously, like, your life would end if you don't have this. I mean, like, a new pair of shoes or, you know, like, something super crucial and important to you. Imagine you have a deep need for a gift, and there is somebody in your world that knows what you need. Do you ever do that thing when you ask your kids or you, when you ask people, what are you going to get me for Christmas? Imagine you've got a need, and it's, it's, for, it's, it's for a gift, and you ask somebody, this person prepares the gift for you. They take the time to buy it for you. They take the time to wrap it for you. They take the time to send it to you. But then when you get it in your hand, you look at it and think to yourself, mm. you know, on second thought, I'm not going to take this gift because I don't like the wrapping. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Can you imagine doing that? I'm just going to grab this as a little... Can you, can you imagine rejecting a gift because of the wrapping? We, we, we know this is ridiculous, but really... Uh, that's exactly what happened in the story of Israel. That's exactly what the Israelites did to Moses. God sent a gift in the form of a man, his name was Moses, to save the people from Israel, from slavery, from the captivity in the land of Egypt. Moses was the gift God sent, but instead of embracing the gift, they rejected the gift. Not because they didn't want to be set free, but because they didn't like the wrapping that the gift came in. My title for this morning's message is Don't Despise the Wrapping. Don't Dis the Wrapping. And as I said to you before, because I believe God has put gifts in your world, God has put gifts in my life, and these gifts often take the form of people. Can I share a secret with you? I believe God is a master wrapper. He's a master rapper. I don't mean like Kanye West. I don't mean like Eminem. But what I mean is God is an expert of taking a gift that he has for the world and he wraps that gift in flesh and blood. That gift is you and that gift is me. I want to talk to you about three areas in your life where God gives us gifts wrapped up in this thing called flesh. The first thing is children. How many parents in the room? How many of you know that in Psalms chapter 27, verse 3 to 5, it says children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Amen. They're a gift. But that gift is sometimes interesting when it's wrapped up in pooey nappies. That gift is interesting when it's wrapped up in a high-pitched squealing voice that doesn't want to go to bed at the right time. That gift is an interesting thing when it's wrapped up in this mouth that just wants to put everything in it. You know, children are a gift, but they're wrapped up in stuff. The second gift that God puts in our lives is spouses. Proverbs chapter 18 verse 22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives favor from the Lord. I've got news for you, men. If you've got a wife, a good lady in your life, that woman is a gift. She's not with you because you're good looking. She's there because God gave her to you. So treat her accordingly. She's a gift. The third thing, gift that we have in our life, and this is, this is an interesting one, is leaders in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, where it talks about God giving gifts to the church in the form of of people. They're called and they're anointed, as was the case of Moses. He was a gift to the Israelites, but they didn't receive him. The first thing I think we've got to establish is that this isn't a human idea. This isn't a social construct, but this is not an imaginary thing. This is the Word of God. This is something He has put in place, and it has a design, and it has a function. That's why in my message, I told the function of honor, because there is a function for honoring the gifts God puts in your world. These things are to bring us together, and these things are to take us forward. And so I want to speak specifically in the context of leaders. I believe God's going to speak to us through that text. But here's the thing, because in 2020, how many of you know God is taking us into places we've never been before? Multi-church, multi-site, multi-nation, multi-pastors. God is taking us somewhere we've never been before. But for us to be successful in where He's taking us, we need to learn not to despise 
the wrapping. I want to share three thoughts on wrapping this morning. The first thought is wrapping is important. Why don't you repeat that after me? Wrapping is important. In verse 22, it says, Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That's like a lot, all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was powerful in both speech and action. How many of you know you've got to be able to do the walk as well as the talk? It says, one day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, so Moses came to the man's defense, avenged him. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God had sent him to rescue them, but they didn't. There's things about you and there's things about me that make us unique. We're all wrapped in something. You've got a unique DNA. You've got a unique cultural heritage. You've got a unique accent. You've got a unique fingerprint. You've got a unique upbringing. You've got a unique outlook onto life. You've got so much about you that makes you unique. And that's what I like to call rapping. What was unique about Moses' rapping and about his life was that even though he was born an Israelite, he didn't grow up as an Israelite. The account in, cha- in Acts chapter 7 tells us that when he was only three months old, he was adopted as Pharaoh's daughter. The story itself is ridiculous. If you read the actual account in Genesis, it says that his parents put him in a basket. They believed God had spoken to them. They waterproofed the basket. They put it in the Nile River, and it floated down and just ended up landing where Pharaoh's daughter was having a bath. It's a miraculous story. He had a unique wrapping. It says that the story gets crazier, though, because the incredible God that orchestrated that actually worked out for Moses' mother to be his own wet nurse to Pharaoh. It's nuts. Only God can do that. But what it says is that he grew up in the palace. The Bible says that he was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and as a result, he became both mighty in speech and in action. But what I find inspiring about the story of Moses is that he understood the reason why he was privileged had nothing to do with his pleasure, but everything to do with God's purpose. That is incredible. This speaks to me so powerfully because it makes me realize that when, I'm, when God has blessed me, when God has shown favor for me, it's not actually for my pleasure, it's actually for God's purpose. I'm blessed so that I can be a blessing. I'm called so that I can awaken calling in somebody else. I'm gifted so that I can be a gift to other people. It's amazing that Moses understood that. But um, the, the, the problem Moses had wasn't, he, he understood that, he lived according to that, but the problem Moses had was the people that he was called to serve and lead, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. When Moses tried to help two men in a quarrel, they turned on him and they chased him away. We look at this and we go, oh man, yeah, that's, that's a stupid idea, that's a horrible idea, but how often is that the posture that we take as Christians? God put somebody in our world, and the moment we, we love to cheer them on the stage, we love to celebrate them from a distance, but the moment they try and lead us, the moment we're doing something foolish, like quarreling with somebody else, and they start speaking into our lives, suddenly it becomes, who are you to say that to me? Who does that pastor think he is? Who does that person think, you don't know what I'm suffering, you don't know where I've been, you don't know my addiction, you don't know what I've been through, who are you to speak to me in that way? This is the sort of thing that we say to ourselves. What the people didn't understand is that Moses' rapping is what gave him the position to be able to judge them fairly. What I mean by this is you can never be led out of slavery by a fellow slave. Only royalty can do that. I've never been led anywhere in my life that has been successful by somebody that struggled with the same things that I was a slave to. When I say slavery, this is what I mean. Jesus defined slavery like this. He said, uh, whatever controls a man, that's what he's a slave to. In other words, if you're uh, a slave to uh, pleasing the people around you, that's what, that's what you're a slave to. If that controls you, you're a slave to that. 
If you're addicted to drugs, you're a slave to that drug addiction. If you, if you have an addiction to sin, if you sin, that thing has got mastery over you, and you're a slave to it. A homeless person is never going to help get helped out of their homelessness by first hanging around another homeless person. A person struggling to live free from addiction will never find freedom if they choose to live in a house where somebody else is using drugs. A negative person isn't going to improve their mental health by hanging, out, uh, hanging around with depressed people. Here's the thing. Jesus wasn't blind, but he gave sight to the blind. Jesus wasn't deaf, but he gave hearing to deaf ears. Jesus wasn't dirty, but he cleansed the lepers. And so in your life, what, what I need and what you need to lead us into what God has for us is royalty. It takes royalty. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, it takes royalty. The second thought I want to share is that there's a trap around the rap. Good rhyming, Petrus, good stuff. There's a trap around the rap, people. It says in verse 26, the next day he visited them, he saw two of the men fighting. He tried to be a peacemaker. Why are you fighting each other? We know that he, one of the men pushed Moses aside. You made a rule of judge over us, da, 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 da. When Moses heard that, he fled the country and he lived as a foreigner in the land of Median. Ouch. Let's talk a minute about leadership pain. Who's ever heard of leadership pain? Do you want to know what leadership pain is? Leadership pain is what happens when you get attacked by somebody you're trying to love. That's, that's what we call leadership pain. It's, it's when somebody you love that you're trying to serve, they turn around and they attack you. This is the leader's curse. If you're a leader in the house of God this morning, you will experience leadership pain at some point in your life. It's one thing to get attacked by the Egyptian army. It's one thing to get ridiculed by the world. It's a whole nother ball game when the very people that you're giving everything to decides to turn on you. And I'm convinced that rejection is the most painful experience anyone can have. I'm, con I'm convinced emotionally for human beings, it's one of the most painful things you and I can experience. That's the reason why boys don't ask girls out. It's the reason why people are afraid to speak in public, not because they don't have something to say, but they're scared of being judged by the people they're speaking to. It's the reason why some of us don't post things about church on our Facebook feeds, because we're scared people are going to turn on us. Leadership pain, rejection. This is a very significant moment of Moses' life. Can I keep building on this? Are you willing to come with me on this journey? I'm going to keep building this. It's significant for Moses because we've established that he grew up in royalty. We've established that he was both smart and strong. We've established that he, in his own understanding, he knew what God had called him to do, that his position was for the people. But I just want to draw your attention to a small fact. It says in the Bible that Moses was 40 years old when all this happened. What does that mean? For you, in, in 2020, 40 is the new 30, but in Moses' time, it meant something entirely different. In biblical numerology, the number 40 is very significant. There, there are heaps of numbers in the Bible that are significant. For example, five is the number of grace. For example, three is the number of completeness. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. Noah was in the, uh, sorry, um, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Um, and so here's the thing, three is a significant number, but 40 is a significant number because 40 is the number of trial. Noah's ark was in the flood for 40 days. The children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years. The prophet Jonah spoke to Nineveh and they had 40 days to repent. When Jesus went into the wilderness to fast and to pray, preparing for ministry, he was there for 40 days. 
See, what I want you to understand, up until this point, Moses is not a young man. Moses has come of age. Moses is 40, and he's prepared his whole life to deliver the people of Israel out of their bondage and captivity into the freedom that God has for them. This is a significant moment. It's almost as though Moses was drawing a line in the sand saying, this is it. For up until this point, I could go between the palace and I could go into the slums. I could go from royalty and I could hang out with my relatives. But in this moment, he decides to draw a line in the sand and he's chosen God's people. There is no turning back for Moses. But here's the thing, instead of being embraced, what happens? He is rejected. And it's crazy because it says for the next 40 years, he became a foreigner, and he worked, he found a wife, he found a father-in-law, but the Bible says for the next 40 years, he became his father-in-law's shepherd. In other words, he would look after the sheep as his father-in-law, Jephro, and, and, and that's what he did for the next 40 years. Do you know what a shepherd does? It's not an entirely glamorous position. It's not a, the, the best sort of job. But what a shepherd does is, in a nutshell, they look after the sheep. They, um, you know, they, they hang out with the sheep. They smell like the sheep. But for the most part, they clean the sheep. They bath the sheep. They pat the sheep. I don't know if they teach them tricks or if they train them. I don't know what they do. But, but, but they hang out with the sheep. But here's the thing. There, there is that aspect. But by and large, what the shepherd does is he goes around wandering, walking, hanging out. He's wandering in the desert for 40 years. There's a lot of time to wander as a shepherd, but there's also a lot of time to wander. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the kind of person that wanders at what could have been, or what wanders at what should have been, but what never was because I rejected the gift based on the wrapping. That's a word for somebody. It's crazy because in the story, we, we read that there's this, this crazy thing that happens. Moses, who is mighty in speech and mighty in action, becomes a stutterer and he becomes timid. The same person that once could talk for talk and walk the walk can no longer talk for talk or walk the walk. The Bible scholars believe that he actually had a mental breakdown. He had a nervous breakdown. But why am I sharing this? Here's, here's what I want to share with you. Because here's the thing. It's interesting. That's what happened to Moses. But what happened to the Israelites? They stayed trapped in their bondage. They stayed limited. They stayed oppressed. They stayed bruised. They stayed beaten. And so the point I'm trying to make with you is when you reject the gift because you despise the wrapping, nobody wins. Nobody wins except the devil. Can I propose to you this morning that if you struggle with honoring people, if you struggle with loving people in authority, the people that God's put in your life, if it's in the area of your family or in the area of your work, can I propose that you, it may be more than just a personality clash? You think it's discernment, but could it be demonic? Do you know what discernment is? Discernment is that cloak people put on around themselves to hide what's really going on on the inside. That's just, we'll just leave it there and move straight on. But here's the point. What you've got to understand is that the devil hates you. you we all think that the devil hates Moses, but the truth is the devil hates the people of Israel more. You think that your leader's having a tough time. Your leader's having a tough time only because they're trying to set you free. What you've got to understand is that when God brings a gift into your life, the truth is the devil is powerless to remove that gift. There's some things that God puts in your life. There's some people that God puts in your life that the devil cannot lay a finger on, that the devil can't separate you from. But the only thing that he can do is try to convince you that, uh, that, that you don't like that person, and he gets you to do his dirty work for you. He gets you to despise the wrapping. He'll point out the faults in your spouse. You know, the the Bible says that the devil devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's the number one trash talker on the planet. 
He'll put thoughts in your head about your spouse. He'll talk to you about the issues of your kids. He'll point out things about your pastors, things that don't matter. Things like the way you, they dress, things like the way they act, things like the things they say, the, things like the color of their skin. Just let that sit there for a moment. The fact that your husband doesn't clean the ensuite sink when he shaves. You know, silly things. <laughs> but here's the thing, if he, if he can get you to reject the gift based on its wrapping, he can keep you limited, bound, and beaten. There's a trap around the wrap, so don't fall for it. It's a good trick, but it's an old trick. And I mean, I could jump into the Bible, I could tell, talk to you about Cain and Abel. This is the first time I came across this. Cain was two brothers, Cain was the older, Abel was the younger. Both of them brought a gift to God, a sacrifice. Cain's uh, offering was inferior because his heart wasn't in the right place. God accepted Abel. God finds Cain pouting, being miserable, being dejected. God says to Cain famously, he says to him, why are you dejected? If you are determined to do good, won't you be accepted? But if you're not determined to do good, um, sin is crouching at your door and his desire is for you, but you must master it. Instead of listening to the advice of God, Cain decides to kill his brother Abel and he becomes, uh, Abel's dead and Cain becomes a wanderer in the earth as well. What if God brought Abel into Cain's world so that he could teach him how to worship God in spirit and in truth? There's a thought. It, it almost happened to Joseph. Remember how we were talking to Joseph, about Joseph? We are talking about how his brothers despised him and they sent him to Egypt. In fact, the Bible actually says, if you read his account in Genesis, I think it's chapter 40, it talks about how they actually wanted to kill him. You've got to thank God for the times where you were not permitted to kill the people he put in your life. Because if, he, if they succeeded in killing Joseph, they would have killed their deliverance. They would have killed their salvation. And it happened to Moses. And if it happened to these three people, let me tell you, it can happen to you and it can happen to me. But Petrus... What if I don't like the wrapping? I can see the cogs turning in your head. I'm so glad you asked. What, what if I don't like the gift? <laughs> can I just say this? The, the wrapping's got more, the gift has got more, there's more to the gift than what's practical. It's actually relational as well. I'm no stranger to this. In fact, it reminds me of a story from a few years back. I think the year was just a couple of years back. I think it was 20, 2011. I was Christmas at my in-laws and I get given uh, a present. In fact, can I have that present right now, Caleb? Pastor Caleb, thank you. I got given a present. I take the present. I shake the present. What could it be? The wrapping looks good. I wonder what it could be. I go to open the present. And would you like to see what I got for Christmas in 2011? Man, this is going to be amazing. Ready? There it is. True story. I mean... Right now, you guys are looking at the shirt and you're asking yourself one or two things. This was given to me by my dear sister-in-law. She's got a naughty sense of humor. You're looking at this and you're thinking to yourself, man, Petrus, that is looking in perfectly, almost perfect new condition. You're thinking to yourself, either I'm really good at looking after my stuff, or you're thinking that possibly it hasn't been worn very much since 2011. But um, I'll let you speculate on that. Here's, the, here's what I'm trying to say to you, though. James chapter... 1 verse 17, what does it read? It says, whatever is good and perfect is a, it's a gift. Coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, he will never change his or casting a shifting shadow. Here's my point. It's one thing to reject a gift because the person gave it to you doesn't get you. It's another thing to reject a gift that comes from the capital G, God. 
It's one thing to reject a gift from a person, reject a gift from a person that is fallible, from a person that is human, from a person that doesn't get you. It's another thing when you reject a gift that comes from God. The Bible tells us that any gift God gives is what? It's good and it's perfect. What it tells me it's good is it tells me that it's beneficial to me. And when it says it's perfect, what it tells me is that that gift actually fits me perfectly. If I could take a moment to speak to the husbands and the wives in the room, throughout my 30 years of life, there's been a few times where I've caught up with different men, and you know what men do when they get together, they don't talk much, but when they do talk, it's really important, and uh, I've, I've had a few conversations with men, and you talk, and they start telling you about their wives, you know, spiritual stuff, pastoral, you know, confidential, everything's good, and, I, and at first, when, when people are having marriage issues, sometimes I listen, and I go, man, like, that wife is pretty full on, like, man, I don't know if I could be married to your wife. But then, but then they give me the other side of the story about what they did and what they're doing and da-da-da-da-da, just being honest. And then I start thinking to myself, you know what? On second thought, that wife fits you perfectly, dude. She wouldn't fit me perfectly, but she fits you perfectly. She's actually pointing things in you that need to change. She's actually there for your business. She actually completes you, you know? And so the thing is, when God puts a gift in your life, whether a child or whether a spouse or whether a sibling or whether a church leader, those people are there for a good cause and they actually fit you perfectly. Can I tell you that Moses wasn't the Israel's choice, but he was the perfect choice for them. He actually fitted them so uniquely. You've got to appreciate the design of what God's put in the people in your life. And, and here's the thing of, you know, if I could just have a moment of confession, the thing about gifts are they can grow on you, Right? I mean, even as I'm talking and holding this up here, I can almost feel like this shirt is growing on me. What do you reckon? Should I wear it? Should I put it on? No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, allow, let it grow on you. Allow God's gift to grow on you. I've got to wrap this up fast, people. My third point is don't return to sender. And I'll probably ask the worship team to come up for this. Where are we? Moses is wandering. The people are bound, but eventually the package returns to its sender. In, in, let's reach up verse 30. This is what it says. It says, 40 years later in the desert of Mount Sinai, an angel appeared to Moses in the flame of the burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he went to take a closer look, the voice of the Lord called to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, we spoke about him, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses shook with terror and didn't dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Now go, because I'm sending you, where? Back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. This is such a powerful portion of scripture for me because it tells me that after years of wandering, Moses has an encounter. I wanna tell you this morning, I don't know, where you are in your life's journey, but can I say, if you found yourself in a place of wandering, if you've had yourself in a place where you're stuck in the past or where you're confused in the present or where you're anxious for the future, can I say to you that the answer for you is an encounter. The answer for you is an encounter. It's in an encounter where God can set you free. I remember I was a man at 20 years of age. I was, I, I, I was in a place where I was completely broken, where I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life, where I felt like an absolute failure. How many of you have ever felt like a failure? I believe Moses felt like a failure. Because the thing about rejection is it gets inside of you. They say that when a parent is um, abusive towards a child, the child doesn't stop loving the parent. 
but a child stops loving themselves. I believe that there are people here this morning where you've been rejected. I need you to see yourself in Moses. There are people that have been rejected. And I wonder if Moses, when he came to God on that, on that mountain, when he saw God, I wonder if he felt like God had rejected him. I wonder whether he blamed himself for what had happened. Let's face it, he wasn't perfectly innocent. But what I love about this text is, it's in the encounter that he discovered who he was really meant to be. I just shared about when I was 20, I went to a Jesus Culture Conference. I still remember having an encounter with God and it was just that one encounter that reset the trajectory of my life. If you're in a place where you're wondering, can I say to you the answer is in an encounter. What I love about God is he, he has an encounter with Moses and he inspects him. He asks him to take off his sandals. He looks at him. Moses doesn't dare to look back. But what I love about God is he looks at Moses and he doesn't change his mind. He didn't change the wrapping. He didn't change the gift. He didn't change his mind and he didn't change his choice. Maybe you're in a place of isolation today, not because God has changed his mind about you or about your worth or about your calling, but maybe it's because he's waiting for people to change their minds about you. God wasn't willing to change his mind about Moses. He was waiting for the Israelites to change their minds about Moses. I want you to know this morning that whatever your experience of rejection has been, that even though he or she, it might have been in your family, maybe it was in a family where you never felt valued or accepted. Maybe you've come out of a relationship where you were overlooked, where somebody once had interest with you, they, they saw value in you, but then they discarded you. Can I say to you that God has never rejected you? People may have failed you, but God will never fail you. They might have failed to see the value in you, but God delights in every part of you. God hasn't changed his mind. He has never left you. And although you felt alone, he has never abandoned you. He delights in the wrapping and he delights in the gift that is you.